Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter number 20. 1 Kings chapter number 20. Let's look at one verse right now. And then we're going to go back into it and pick it up and read uh, the first 30 verses. Uh, all the first part of that chapter. Uh, after we just, uh, just read the one verse and then we'll pray, get into the message. And then uh, continue reading everything else. But just verse number 6 right now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you need one of the Pew Bibles, then it's page 437 in the older ones and page 566 in the, the newer. They're black Bibles and they're in the pews. I'd like everybody to, to get a Bible and to read along because we're going to be reading uh, extended portions, not just what you'll see here on, on the screen, but then we'll, we'll uh, be off screen reading, reading the Bible. So I'd like everybody to have a Bible in your hands. And First uh, Kings chapter number 20, let's take a look at just verse number 6 right now. Yet will I send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, they shall put in their hand and take it away. It's interesting to note what he's saying here, Ben-Hadad, the king, is threatening King Ahab and the Israelites, and he says, whatever you like, whatever you value, what's pleasant in your eyes, they're going to be taken away. Let's uh, ask the Lord's blessings, and then we'll uh, get into the, the service here today. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you help us to see the, uh, the significance of where we are and uh, what is valuable in our eyes lord i pray that you'd help us to see a little bit of how we esteem things and evaluate and uh, lord i pray that you just bless help us to have some clarity today in our relationship with you we ask this in jesus name amen the message is called valuable to you we all have a value system in place and it may not make sense to others, but there's some things that you value. There's some things that I value that are important to me. Everybody has things that are important to themselves. And um, it, others might not value or esteem highly the things that you do, but it does mean something to us. I remember when I was growing up, the very first model car that I ever put together I don't know how old I was. I must have been about 10 or so, something like that, 8 or 10. And I put together a Model T. It wasn't much. It was just had a, you know, it wasn't very uh, intricate, but uh, it was it was intricate for me, you know. And I, and I put together this thing just with glue and uh, and uh, put the pieces together in this little Model T plastic car that I put together. I was so proud of that thing. I mean, I was, I was overjoyed because I got a box of, of uh pieces and when you opened it up it just didn't make any sense at all you had to follow the directions i never did that before and uh i think i've never done that since but anyway <laughs> I, I followed the directions and i actually put the thing together i was proud of that i was like you know point a goes to point b and, and then you take d and f and you glue it here and there and, and put that model model t car together i was just i was Man, I was the man, you know, and, and I just, I loved that thing. I just loved it. But I had a little sister. Uh, a 
For those of you that have grown up with little sisters, <laughs> she was wanting to know about this little model car that they put together. And it's not a car that you get and you play with, you know, and you, you roll down. No, that's not the kind of thing. It's a, you know, it's just you're supposed to put it on a pedestal and, and, you know, behind glass and look at it. That's all you're supposed to do with those things. But she didn't know that. And she got a hold of my model car and, you know, played with it and, and ruined it, just in, in a million pieces. Oh, man, I was, yeah, you guys are laughing. Yeah, right, go ahead, laugh at my pain. But it was painful for me. I'm trying to think of some things of, you know, things that are valuable to you, that you, you honor, that you cherish, and we've all had, uh, you know, something like that, or a, a person or, or a, a pet or something like that. Uh, years and years ago, we had... Max, he was a part of my family, little uh, uh, Yorkie. He wasn't a dog, he was a dog biscuit. He was about like that big and, and um, loved that thing. I mean, loved that thing and had a old yeller experience with that. And I'm not going to go into that. I don't want people crying out, going out the doors and <laughs> just remembering your old yeller experience. Yeah, the dog, what, you know. You know, but everybody does. You have things that are, that are very, very important to you. And like I say, it doesn't make sense to others sometimes, but um, when my family moved over to Washington State for the very first time, didn't know anybody, any, uh, didn't have any, any connections, but there was a church in Seattle that uh, uh, one of the members had parents in that church that had an Airstream uh, travel trailer, 28-foot silver bullet, if you, you know those older ones, you know, and and uh, they weren't using it, and, and we needed a place to stay at the time. And so me and my family actually rented it from them. We put it in a, it's actually where the QFC is down here, you know, where the QFC is now. There, there used to be a, um, uh, a trailer park there. And uh, we actually put it there, and I didn't know where we were going to land in the state of Washington. And we had the, the time of kind of looking everywhere and just being led of the Lord to try to figure out where he wanted the church planted. We got this far by the leadership of the Lord. We needed some time to, to kind of, well, we needed to live someplace, and so that's where we lived. Now, it was a 28-foot travel trailer, and we were on top of each other. We were on top of each other. We had two kids at the time, and my youngest son, Luke, at the time, uh, he was two, maybe three years old when we lived in that tra travel trailer, and we spent the first few months here. We, we uh, experienced a Christmas in that tra travel trailer. Um, and uh, there was, I don't remember way back when I was two, three years old. I think the first memories I have, I have right now is when I was like five or six, I guess. But, uh, but my son Luke was uh, just kind of getting up into, into life here. He was becoming human. He was about three, three years old. And, and he, you know, that was the first memories he ever had of Christmas in that little travel trailer. Where, where, you know, it was just it was, a, it was a, a terrible, terrible thing to go through this, you know, camping, sure, one day, two days, you know, months and months, and this thing on everybody on top of each other. It was just, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough. And uh, I remember uh, uh, getting a job then, and it was in Duval, and we had this giant uh, apartment that we were moving into, and we were so glad. And I came home, we, we were uh, moving things out, and I'm looking at my son Luke, and he's there crying. And I'm going, son, what's wrong? And he, he didn't want to leave. This was all that he remembered. This was his home. You know, I'm, getting, I'm saying, kid, you're sick. 
what is wrong with you? You're going to have a room to yourself. What the? And, but that's what, you know, it was important to him. I remember that. I remember, and, you know, it didn't make sense to me or anybody else, you know, and he probably forgot about it soon, but, um, but it was important to him. There are certain things that are important to you, that you cherish, that you love. Everybody cherishes something. Everybody loves something that's important to them, maybe only, but it's important to them. I'd like to, I'd like to delve into that and that, those thoughts here, and we're going to get into this story here, but let's uh, open your Bibles and, and go to 1 Kings chapter number 20. 1 Kings chapter 20, and let's read from verse number 1 and, and down through this chapter, and then we're going to come back and look at things that are valuable to us. But what a, what a great story, and I'd like to kind of fit in the, uh, uh, put it in context here. So let's take a look at the story of Ben-Hadad, uh, ben who was coming to war against Israel and against Ahab. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse number 1. And Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his host together, and there were thirty and two kings with him, and horses, chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and warred against it. And he sent messengers to Ahab, king of Israel, into the city and said unto him, Thus saith Ben-Hadad, Thy silver and thy gold is mine. Thy wives also and thy children, even the goodliest, are mine. And the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. What a wimp. I'm really, look at that. You know, he, he comes in and he's threatening. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a country that has multiplied more servants and soldiers than, than Ahab has access to. And, and, uh, and, and Ben-Hadad was just a bully. That's, uh, this is a, a, a great... Uh, um, a definition of a bully was Ben Hadad, and he says, "Everything you got, everything that's, that's important, I'm it's I'm going to take it all. It's all mine." And he says, "Yes, sire, it's all yours." You know, and he he bows down and he says, "Sure, it's all yours." Um, where did we leave off here? Um, verse five, and the messengers came again, and said, "Nope, not good enough." Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver and thy gold and thy wives and thy children. And you said, Sure, you can take all of that kind of stuff. I'm, I've asked for all of that, yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall, shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants, and it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes. They shall put it in their hand and take it away. He wasn't happy with just overcoming and, and, and pillaging his, his palace. He, he wanted more than that. you got to understand that here Ben-Hadad is, is a bully and he wants to see the kid cry. He doesn't want to just uh, punch him in the nose. He doesn't want to make him hurt, but he wants to see his pain. He wants to see his subservient. Uh, 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 position. He wants to see the guy humbled. He says, whatever you like, 
Whatever you think is important, whatever you find valuable, I'm taking that from you. Wow. Verse 7, And the king, king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark, I pray you, and see how this man seeketh mischief. Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> He's really going after him. For he sent unto me for my wives and for my children, for my silver and for my gold, and I denied him not. And all the elders and all the people said unto him, Hearken not unto him, nor consent. Stand up against this bully. Deny him. Verse 9. Wherefore he saith unto the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Okay, this is what you tell him. Tell my lord the king all that thou didst send for thy servant at the first I will do. But this thing where you're going after me, you're, you're going to, to cause my pain and my hurt, which you, the, the, you know, the, the, the ultimatum that you came at the end there. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. Not at all. I'm not going there. The first I will do, but this thing I may not do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. All right, well, let's see what Ben-Hadad says. And Ben-Hadad sent unto him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people that follow me. He says, you're in trouble. You're dead. I'm bringing more people than you can even count. I'm going to come and I'm going to overrun your, your country, your, your kingdom. I'm going to take everything. You're, you're in big trouble. You're, you're a dead man. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. <laughs> wow. You, you got you to admire Ahab here a little bit, you know, because, you know, he's going to get clobbered. I mean, the guy's going to get clobbered. He's, there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of soldiers that are going to be coming in his, and, and, and he's got a, just a ragtag army. And, and he knows he's, he doesn't have any, any chance. But he, he says basically, hey, wait a minute. We haven't had this battle. You know what, what Ben-Hadad was doing? He was talking smack. You know, you, you, you get that on the, on the court or on the field sometimes where somebody says, man, I'm going to get it. And, and Ben-Hadad comes talking smack, and, and Ahab says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we hadn't gotten on the field yet. Don't be boasting like this, this thing is over before you even put on your armor. <laughs> I like that. It's, he, he, he stands up to the guy. And so he says, um, you know, let him not that girdeth on his harness boast him as he that putteth it, off, putteth it off. We'll see. We'll see about this. And it came to pass, 12, when Ben-Hadad heard this message, as he was drinking, he and the kings of the pavilions, that he said unto his servants, Set yourself in array, and they set themselves in array against the city. And behold, there came a prophet unto Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it, deliver it into thine hand this day, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Whoa. God comes in there and he says, hey, step aside, Ahab. God's going to take care of this thing. He's going to take care of this bully. Don't you worry about it. And Ahab said, by whom? Who's, who are you going to get to lead a, a, a charge against that kind of an army? <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he said, um, Okay, where did I, where'd I end up here? Uh, and he, uh, 14. And Ahab said, by whom? And he said, thus saith the Lord, even by the young men of the princes of the province. Then he said, who shall order the battle? And he said, thou. 
Here's, here's Ahab saying, all right, go get him, God. Who are you going to get to lead that charge? He says, you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> then he numbered, verse 15, then he numbered the young men of the princes of the provinces, and they were 232. Those are just the captains. And after them, he numbered the people, even all the children of Israel, being 7,000. Hey, you remember what God said about to uh, Elijah? What do you mean? You're the only one standing. I have 7,000. I believe he's talking about these guys, which were now young men. Back then, they were just 12, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. But here, they're, they're, they're soldiers. And it says uh, there's, there's 7,000, verse 16. And they went out at noon, but Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the pavilions. He and the kings, the 30 and two kings that helped him, and the young men of the princes of the provinces went out first. And Ben-Hadad sent out, and they told him, saying, These are men come out of Samaria. And he said, Whether they be come out for peace, take them alive, or whether they be come out for war, take them alive. Go get them. So these young men of the princes of the provinces came out of the city and, and the army which followed them. And they slew. This is talking about the children of Israel, God's people. They slew everyone his man, and the Syrians fled. And Israel pursued them, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and smote the horses and chariots and slew the Syrians with a great slaughter. How about that? Yeah, the thing wasn't over yet. Yeah, they didn't put on their armor yet. And yeah, he didn't. He shouldn't boast before, before because um, man, he was eating it now. And so it says, verse 22, And the prophet came to the, to the king of Israel and said unto him, Go strengthen thyself and mark, and see what thou doest. For at the return of the year, the king of Syria will come again, uh, come against thee. Verse 23. And the servants of the king of Syria said unto him, They're gods, and they don't know, they don't understand who God is. They're talking God, little God, little G God. That means idols. They're talking about the idols that they follow. They're not following idols. They're not idolaters like the Syrians were, but they didn't know anything about their God or about the real, the true, the creator God. But they said here, their gods, um, all right, what, every time I look away, I'm off, uh, verse 20, 23, their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we, but let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this thing, take the kings away, every man out of his place, and put captains in their rooms, and number thee an army, like the army that thou hast lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot, and we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. And they hearkened unto their voice, and did so. And it came to pass at the return of the year that Ben-Hadad numbered Syrian, the Syrians, and went up to, to Aphak to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were numbered, and were all present and went against them and the children of Israel pitched before them like two little flocks of kids but the Syrians filled the country verse 28 and there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said thus saith the Lord because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills but he is not God of the valleys therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And the Lord, and they pitched one over against the other seven days. And it was so that in the seventh the battle was joined, and the children of Israel slew of the Syrians and hundred thousand footmen in one day. 
But the rest fled to Aphek unto the city, and, and there a wall fell, fell upon 20 and 7,000 of the men that were left. God just helping it along here. They didn't have to fight them. God took care of them. And Ben-Hadad fled and came to the city into an inner chamber. We're going to continue the story later, but we'll stop right there. Wow. Wow. See, we've seen Ahab as a crook, as a, a wicked, a criminal. He, he was one of the wicked kings, and, and surely he is. As the Bible says about Ahab, he was a villain. Um, although he, he was extremely wicked in the overall balance of his life, it was said of him that he sold himself to work evil in the sight of the Lord, 1 Kings 21, verse 20. And that that's what he did. He was not on God's side. He was not a, a, a believer that, that uh, respected the Lord. But he did have his particular personality that shone through the pathway from some time to time where you can kind of see a little bit of this guy called Ahab and, and what he did and who he was. Uh, Ben-Hadab was abusing the weaker nation of Israel. He was a bully. He was pushing the, the, uh, his whims. He was humbling others at his will. He threatened war if Ahab didn't comply with his Daylight robbery in those first verses that we read, verse number one, down through verse number seven. At first, Ahab shows no pride. He has no will, no guts. He says, sure, do whatever you want. I'm yours. You're going to come and take everything. He was totally compliant until he sees the real purpose of the threat. It was not because Ben-Hadad wanted his things or his servants. He wanted to humiliate Ahab. And we're going to come back to this, like I said, and see the similarities of this in each one of us in this event that was here. At first, our evaluation of Ahab is that he's the world's biggest wimp. He says, sure, you know, I've got nothing to do. You could go ahead, uh, uh, run over me, verse 4. But don't let any, anybody do that to you, he, he comes to, and... and uh, he seems happy to be subservient to Ben-Hadad, but when Ben-Hadad challenges him again, and he says, no, no, I don't want that. I want what you value, what's pleasant in your eyes. And then you see a spark to that little man, Ahab. Verse 9, Ahab puts his foot down. He says, uh-uh, no, if you're going to hurt me, I'm going to make you regret it. I'll go down, but it's going to be painful for you. And so he's, he's, you know, meeting Ben-Hadad with a, a rebuff. And Ben-Hadad's threatening boast. Ahab rejects the sm smack talk. Verse number 11, the king of Israel answered and said, Let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. What a great line. I love that. I love that. What he's saying is, it ain't over till it's over. And let's see. The fat lady hadn't sung yet. Bring it on. You're probably going to die. Ahab, but at least you feel good going down. You're, you salvaged your manhood in the last hours. At least you'll die in dignity with your head up. And that's his situation. But God had something else in mind. God says, Ahab, this has got nothing to do with you. It's got to do with me and my name and who I am and what I, what I want to do here and what I'm going to do. Thank the Lord. He uses that, those 7,000 young soldiers that he told Elijah about, verse number 15. Elijah, remember we said, he didn't see the big picture. He didn't see what God was doing. He didn't see God's timing. <coughs> but folks, God calls the shots. 
He called the shots here. He calls the shots today. God calls the shots. So these few young soldiers fought two battles in these verses that we read from verse number 20 down through verse number 30. And they slaughtered over 127,000 in the second fight. It may be the same in the first fight. We're talking about over 200,000 people that these <coughs> 7,000 soldiers overcame. Let me say something. God does what he wants. And he is not limited by our resources. He's not limited by what we don't have. He's not limited by, by our lack, by our needs. God can do whatever he wants, and he can do whatever he wants today. And you know what? What a wonderful God that we serve, that we, we serve that kind of a God. But what we can't miss is that they charge God with only being strong or victorious or sovereign in certain type of landscapes. You remember they said this in verse 28? Because the Syrians have said, the Lord God is the, of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. Therefore, God says, I will deliver all this great multitude in thine, to thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. See, they only win because they have the advantage. That's what they said. The children of Israel and God's only uh, victorious because these people are healthy or privileged or wealthy or favored. They're fighting from the hills. They've got the advantage. And so if they don't have the advantage, put them at a dis disadvantage, put them in the valley, <clears throat> outnumber them. If, if you um, get them to be underprivileged or oppressed or discouraged, then they're going to crumble. See, because God can't help them in the valley. Now listen, some of you are in the valley today. God is not limited. God can bring you out of the valley. Now you can't, and I can't, but God can. And their challenge is, if you get in the valley, then you're sunk. God can't help you there. And you know what God's saying to you, to me, today? That's not true. That is not true. God loves the challenge. And he loves to show himself victorious from the valley. There's a, somebody that wrote a song for, from this passage of scripture. Life is easy when you're up on the mountain and you've got peace of mind like you've never known. But things change and you're down in the valley. Don't lose faith, child. You're never alone. For the God of the mountain is still God in the valley. When things go wrong, he'll make them right. And the God of the good times is still God in the bad times. The God of the day is still God in the night. Folks, what a wonderful truth that is, that God is victorious no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the odds, he's victorious. And he can have you to be victorious also. See, our God is victorious and triumphant in any situation. Thank the Lord for that. Against all odds, against all opponents, he's stronger than any problem, stronger than any need that you have. What, what is it that you're facing today? What have you lost heart about? Don't you know that God is bigger than that? God can take care of that. I don't know your problems. Everybody has problems. Everybody's got different problems. Right now, you might be facing your children, or you might be facing uh, some health situations, or you might be facing even death. Hey, whatever it is that you're facing, there's a, been a downturn, and you've, you've uh, you know, uh, lost your, your job, or, or your house burned down, or whatever. Hey, listen, whatever you've gone through, don't you know that God is with you? There's no need with God. There's a need with us. Thank the Lord for that. I, 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 you know, I could preach a message right here, but this is not what this is about. Let's go on. 
<clears throat> Let's get back to the method that Ben-Hadad used to try to humiliate Ahab back in verse number 5. Look at that. 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 5. And the messengers came again and said, Thus speaketh Ben-Hadad, saying, Although I have sent unto thee, saying, Thou shalt deliver me thy silver, thy gold, thy wives, thy children. And you went along with it, by the way. You, you complied. Yet I will send my servants unto thee tomorrow about this time, and they shall search thine house and the houses of thy servants. And it shall be that whatsoever is pleasant in thine eyes, whatever you value, Whatever it is that is important to you, that's mine. That's mine. Ben-Hadad didn't want that junk, any of it. He had one objective, and that was to hurt Ahab. And the way that he, was, he said he was going to do this was he said he was going to have his servants watch Ahab when they broke into his palace and they're in his room and in his bedroom and in his, in his uh, kitchen and wherever. And whatever it was, uh, here, this pulpit, let's take that. And they put their arms around it and they look over to Ben Hadad or look over to Ahab and Ahab says, eh, go ahead, take it. And they said, no, not that. All right, we'll, we'll take this piano. And they get a bunch of guys and they, they begin lifting it, look over to ben, Hay ben Hadad and said, I never learned how to play that thing. Anyway, get it out of here. And they leave it. And then they get his model car. <laughs> whatever it was. Whatever that was. His, his harp, his whatever. And, uh, and then they said, we're going to take this. And, and, ben had, and Ahab goes, oh. and they go, yep, that's it. Get it. Take that out of here. Whatever's pleasant in his eyes. Whatever he loves. Whatever he values. <coughs> that's it. That's what I want. And that's what, what a bully. What a, what a bully. He had one objective, and that was to hurt Ahab, to abase him, to abuse him, humiliate him. He was happy to, to be the to bully, but not just that. He wanted to make the wimp cry. You know what this story illustrates? Some, real, some basic things, and we'll be done. It's not, not a deep message here this morning, but I want to say that Everybody values something. You know, there's people that want to say, well, there's nothing that I, I value, and so therefore you can't hurt me. That's not so. Everybody values something. You know, that's the basic philosophy of uh, Buddhism, I think it is, uh, or Hinduism, I don't remember which, where, where it's nirvana. You want to get to nothingness because uh, fulfillment of pleasures, of uh, comfort, of all of that kind of stuff. That's, you know, people are all, always going for that, but then you're always going to be disappointed. You're always going to have lack. And so, therefore, the idea is to get to the place where is nothingness. You don't have any need. You don't want anything. You're nobody. You're nothing. You're nowhere. It ain't so, folks, because everybody values something. Ahab, at first, wanted to hide behind the false claim that he didn't value anything. No, you could, you could take it all. It doesn't matter to me. But he did. We all do, folks. We all do. We all value something. Everybody values something. And, and the thing about it is everybody's values are different. That's why Ben-Hadad could only hurt Ahab if he discovered what Ahab wanted, what was pleasant in Ahab's eyes. 
because everybody's value system is different. But you know something? Everybody displays their values. You can't, you can't hide it. Oh, no. <laughs> Everybody, you know what? You show your values. You do. It's easy and apparent to see by looking at Ahab what it was when they wanted to take something out of his, out of his dwelling by his face, by his attitude, by his eyes. It's easy to see what you value by your time. You know, some of you say, I love the Lord. He is so good to me. He, he's, and, and you're very miserly with your time. You don't want to give anything to God. Did you know there's a need? Did you know there's, there's something coming up at the church that we, we really have a need of, of some? You know what? There's, oh, man. I could tell you, need after need after need after need. We would love to be able to fill this position. We'd love to be able to do this. We'd love to be able, but you know what? We need some volunteers that are willing to say, I'll do it. I'll go, I'll be that. I'll, I'll sacrifice my time. Don't you know we need some teachers? But you know, that takes work. Every week, you gotta get up a lesson, and every week, you gotta prepare, and, and you're kind of chained to that thing. And you, Yeah, exactly. It's called sacrifice. You know what? I could tell what you value by your time. Or what you don't want to get, or what you do put your time to. It is so discouraging, folks. I'm telling you, it's so discouraging for me to see a need in God's house. I mean, a real definite need. And you know what? God will provide for every need, but He'll provide it from you and from me. That's where He. That's where He He works. I mean, He would like to use us. And then I'll come to somebody and I say, Hey, what do you think about this? And oh, I got no time for that. I can't do that. Why? Because I'm busy. With what? With my life. I know the, the Lord has a need here, but I'm not going to be encumbered with that because my time is valuable. And you know what? That's right. That's exactly right. The, the most valuable thing you have is your time. You, you value it. You should. But what about sacrificing some of that to the Lord? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. You know what? If God wanted me here or there or anywhere, I'm his. I mean, I'm all his. I don't care what he wants, whatever he wants to do. It's 100% his. But you know what? We're sometimes so miserly with our time. You know, you can tell, you can, everybody just displays their values in their time, what you, what you do. There were was, there was some 40-some people out here yesterday work painting and scraping and and fixing and screwing and uh, and they screwed up a lot around here <laughs> they really did that's a lot of work going on here i mean a lot of work and i i'll tell you what thank you thank you thank you as your pastor i'm so proud of that i'm so so glad to be a part of a church that works and rolls up their sleeve and everything else but you know what you don't need me to say that so someday the lord's going to say well done because there's not one cup of cold water that's given in his name that is not noted. And you're going to hear that for your life, with your life. So, so how about, we, how about we, we give some of our precious time? Some tasks are unmet because of selfishness. Oh, oh come on, really? The time that you should be spending 
in your Bible with the Lord because he's asked, he wants, he wants time with you. He, he desires time with you. And this last week, if you were to kind of chart the time that you've spent in prayer, in Bible study, in whatever is, or maybe nothing. Oh, goodness. Everybody displays their values. They display it in their time. They display it in their money. And what they give to or give towards, you know, your finances. You know what? The Lord doesn't need your finances. The Lord wants your heart. But the thing about it is, we give to, we spend for things that are dear to our heart. Your friends. You know what? If I look at your friends, your close friends, the acquaintances, acquaintances that you like to be around, that you like to just uh, kick around with, I could tell a lot about you, about your values. You know, a lot of teenagers, they begin to get into the wrong friends, and they say, now, Pastor, I'm not like them. Oh, no, but you will be. You, are, you either are like your friends or you will become like them. I could tell your values by your, your friends, your music. You know, you know what I could tell about you and, and who you are and your values is by your church attendance and your membership. You know what? I'm going to be a part of a church that honors the Lord that sings things that we've heard worthy is the lamb that that would truly honor the lord in our in our value, in our uh, testimony in our, in our walk not just our our voice or what we say but what we do and, and honesty and and attitude listen i'm going to be a place where the word of god is is uplifted and you know what and everybody doesn't do that and i could tell i could tell your values by your membership Really, I could tell a little. See, the the Bible says this is it's going to take a choice. It, you choose. I choose what to what to do with my my precious, valuable things, or time, or money, or or talents, or whatever. This is what it said about Moses when he was growing up. Hebrews eleven twenty five. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, he, was, he could have been the next ruler in Egypt. Powerful. He could have had all the servants, everything. He could have had everything that he ever wanted more than any other man <coughs> under him. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. He could have had that, but he chose to sacrifice all of that because he, he valued God more. Wow. How about that? Everybody values something. Everybody displays their values. You know some takeaways from this, this lesson here. Number one, you're going to lose your valuables. All of them. Either you're going to lose everything at death, or <clears throat> you'll get saved and win eternity. <laughs> but if you, if you try to hang on to the things right here, right now, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose it all. Everything. There's nothing. There's nothing you're going to hang on to after that last breath that you take. Then you move on into eternity, and you're losing, folks. You're going to lose. You know that whatever it is that you were that you were wanting to grab, wanting to to hold on to, it's going to be taken from your hands. It's going to be gone. You're not going to have it. If it's here on earth, you're going to lose it. Or you get saved. And never lose 
anything that God gives you, eternal, eternal values. Be saved. And, but to be saved, you've got to release the world. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, uh, Jesus said this, And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold. That means much, much more. One hundred times whatever it is that you lost. An hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. I thought when I got saved, I was giving up stuff. <laughs> I was only giving up stuff I couldn't hang on to. That's it. That's all. You know what I gained? I gained what God has for me, and that's throughout eternity, where moth and rust doesn't corrupt, and where thieves don't break through and steal. It's called eternal values, eternal riches, eternal honor. Hey, that's a deal. See, you're going to lose the values that you have today if they're in this world. But if you come to Christ, you've you got to make that choice to leave that to get what God has. Hey, that's your problem. That's why you're not saved yet. You got to make that choice. You know what? And, and God's waiting on you. He's still waiting on you. Are you going to make that choice? Are you going to be foolish to gamble with eternity? Because you're going to lose everything. Whatever it is that you value, the things that, oh, no, no, I can't lose that. You're losing it. You're losing it. Number two, you'll experience a lessening of values. See, this is the thing. <clears throat> As you you get saved and you, you grow closer to heaven, then the things of earth seem strangely dim. Isn't that the way that the song goes? That's right. You get less and less and less important. Really? I remember when I was in high school, tried out for the basketball team because I'm so tall, you know what I mean? Well, I come from a, a high school in Chicago, Illinois, where most of the Kids on the, on the team were like, I don't know, six, eight, you know, big black guys that could, you know, you know have basketballs like this. They didn't even have to do that. And, and I'm there, you know, I, I had a little, you know, pizzazz. <laughs> and I was proud of that, man. That was fast. And I was, but, it was, you know, like, who's the guy that, uh, five, seven, who can dunk? What's his name? <laughs> anyway, not me. I never was able to dunk, okay? So I, I can't even say that. But I, I was proud of the, you know, the, the, the certain physical, you know, abilities I had in high school. You know what? That's long gone. <laughs> the, the things that I'm proud of now is how much I can eat on a plate. It's a wow, look at that. I impressed myself. I, <laughs> that's terrible. You know, preacher, come on. Anyway, uh, no, what I'm saying is over the years, you kind of lose. You know what? I'm, I'm, I cracked the big 6-0, and I'm on that side of the hill, you know? And the things that I used to value, I don't anymore. And you know what? By the way, spiritually, the closer I get to heaven, the, the, the more that I love the Lord, the less those things mean to me. They, they really do. They, they get less dimmer and dimmer. But if you die without Christ, you'll rue the day that you rejected what the Lord had for you just to hang on to that cursed sin that only had a promise of fulfillment but granted nothing. You get nothing from that, truly. Left empty and ashamed, guilt-ridden, and wanting more. And by the way, you go to hell. It's not a place of 
eternal card games and buddies and beer parties. No, 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 no. Loneliness, fear, quaking. The Bible calls it gnashing of teeth. You know what that means? Somebody's in such pain. I've been in pain like that a few times, and I've hurt my jaw. Because of the gnashing of the pain you're trying to... That's what the Bible calls eternity. A place of darkness, paying for your own wickedness. Not that God sent you there. No, you earned that, breaking his laws. And God did everything he could to keep you out of there. You, you die and go to Christ? Are you kidding me? The things that were once, they, they just get further and further away and there's no fulfillment. There's no, there's no, there's just lust in hell, no fulfillment. Just the want, n nothing granted. You know, you're gonna, if, if you happen to die and go to Christ, uh, go, to, go to hell without Christ and 20,000 years from now, You'll think back, because you will have a memory, by the way. You, you remember the, the, the rich man and Lazarus, the, the rich man that, that died and went to hell, Lazarus went to heaven, and, and when he spoke to Abraham, he says, remember, and thou like, he, he had a memory, he remembered. I wonder if you're going to remember this service, but the Spirit of God is working on your heart, where you're lost, and you, and you know you're lost, and and you're making a conscious choice to hang on to those things that you're going to lose. And, and 20,000 years from now, you may remember this service. And we go over and over and over in your head that I, I chose the flames. I chose the darkness. I chose the, the guilt and the shame. I chose the emptiness. I chose that rather than God's life and his light and, and his blessing. I chose, I really, that's what I hung on to. That was my choice. You'll experience a lessening of the values that you once had. But let me say this, eternal values only come of God. Matthew 16, 9, <clears throat> sorry, 6, 19 says, <clears throat> Jesus said, Late not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, or where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You value something, folks. Everybody values something. But get ready to lose it all. All but the eternal things that provided to you by God, all the others are going <clears> to... <throat> Remember, you know, in, in this story of Ben-Hadad and Ahab, Ben-Hadad is, a, is a, a picture of Satan. He's a, he's a, a symbol of, of what Satan wants. He's your enemy. He's God's enemy. And there's one thing that Satan wants from you, your pain. He wants you to cry. He wants your, 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 your woe, your humility. He doesn't want you or your things. No, no. You might think that he's after you. <clears throat> you might think that you're popular. You might think that the things that you're, you're enjoying now, that's what, no, no, that's not what he wants at all. He just wants to cause grief and sorrow and regret and loss. He wants to, to, to strike at God and he can't. So he's going to strike at you and you'll be the worst for it. Don't, let me tell you something. You've got an enemy in Ben-Hadad. He, he wants you to go down. Let me ask you something. What do you value? What do others know about you by what 
you value? What do you want to retain? <laughs> give, give it to God. I'm so glad that I'm a believer. I'm so glad that I made that choice. I'm so glad that I got out of the, the grips of Ben-Hadad. Every head bowed. Nobody looking for just a moment.